with you this morning. Let's get right to it. Thank you. <laughs> Let's get right to uh, our Bibles this, this morning and uh, turn to Acts chapter 18. Uh, we find ourselves continuing in Paul's second missionary journey. And uh, there's a lot going on. It's amazing the strength, the tenacity of the man. But in Acts chapter 18, we're going to read the first 17, well, 18 verses. And this is actually a passage of Scripture that literally is one of encouragement. And we don't see it at first hand, but when you, you back up and you walk in and you start to peel the curtains away and you, you watch where he came from, Paul is speaking of, and where he is, and he's alone again. He's alone in the city of Corinth. And we'll, we'll, as, we, as we get into that, we'll certainly digress. But think of this now in Acts chapter 18. Um, beginning at verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them. And wrought by their occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. When they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he, took, he shook his, his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice. One that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would I... Reason... Would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look you to it. For I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sothenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. And Paul, after he tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave and of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. And may God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we thank you for a beautiful day, late fall, that we can enjoy coming together, meeting, raising up your voice through song, through prayer. And now as we go to the word, Father, we ask that you would take the truth, the word of God, Minister to our minds, our hearts, our lives, every part of us, Father, and that only the Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. Father, if there's something said that is not right, that it would quickly evaporate from our minds. But Father, we're here because we want to glorify you. Bless us through the word. Allow us to see you more clearly. May your message be profound 
and broaden and go across the entire world. Father, we thank you for what you'll do in this place for these people. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Um, once again, I'm going to ask Laramie that Laramie would throw the, put the map up on the wall. It helps us geographically to see where we're at. And so we find ourselves today, I don't know, it would be nice maybe if we were just a little bit bigger in the sense you in the back of the room will have trouble seeing this, but uh, with the little red dot, can you guys in the back see the red dot? That's good. So we'll be able to work our way through it. So as we know, uh, this journey has, it's, it's begun way back here. They've been, they've been traveling. Uh, the Holy Spirit has, has really not allowed them to go in this region where Paul wanted to go, into Western Asia. Um, I, I want you to take note of, there's this word Pontus right here. Do you remember there was a man called Aquila and Priscilla? And he, think, think of, these are worldwide travelers now for the day. Uh, they were kicked out of Rome because they were a Jew and he actually was born in Pontus here on the Black Sea. And Paul finds him in Corinth. <laughs> you think God's got a way of bringing people together? Uh, Paul was in an all-time low. He really was. And, and as, we, as we even traverse, uh, Europe was, or Macedonia, which is on the map here, this is where Europe was initially, shall we say, the door, of, uh, the door was beaten on by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippi, they came in there. They went to Thessalonica, were beaten within a threat of their life in jail, uh, were there for a short time, basically ran out into Berea. And from Berea, uh, Paul ends up in Athens. We talked about that last week. He himself, he was alone in Athens. We'll, we'll, we'll bring into speed that actually, uh, his, who was his partners? Who was his traveling partners? Little test, little quiz. Of Paul and... Silas, it's easy to say Barnabas, isn't it? But it was Silas. And we picked up somebody um, on the way. His name was Timotheus, Timothy, first and second Timothy. Uh, Paul really mentored that man. I mean, what a great, great man. And then uh, we started using the word we when we got to Philippi. And that man that joined there was Luke, the writer of Acts. So we have, I mean, talk about a four-way power play. I mean, that's it. But what's happened now is Paul finds himself alone in Athens. Now, I would like to come back and re, maybe restate a couple of things, maybe one in particular. Last week, I talked about Athens as a city. I mean, it's, I'm going to call it structured sin. And you say, what? I've never heard that. Neither have I, actually. But it, as I was thinking about today in Corinth, that truly is a Las Vegas. I told you last week that Athens would be like Las Vegas. A city of all kinds of gods. And you can name more gods and temples than there possibly you could even come up with. There was actually, it was easier to find a god than a man. That's by their own admission in the city of Athens. But I'm going to liken that more to a university or an intellectual type community. Let's say our eastern seaboard today. What did that raise, right? That would be more like Athens. They could philosophically tell you why they shouldn't be serving God because they tried to make no god. And in Corinth, it truly is like a Vegas thing. It's, it was called Sin City. They came with debauchery. I mean, they didn't care if there was a God. We're going to live our lives to the utmost in pleasure. Whatever that, whatever that is determined by you. Okay? Those are the two cities that Paul has been in now by himself for the most time. 
I, I, can you imagine how depressing it would be? Now, he's been beaten within the threat of his life in Thessalonica. Runs to Berea. He's not there very long. And the Thessalonians come down and beat him up again. And he leaves. Now, can you start to see some of this? But I want to go to the scriptures to prove that. Now, there's a lot of things happen in Corinth, this city. 200,000 people. Okay. Now, let's take a look at the geography. You're, in the back, you're not going to be able to probably see that. But from Athens to Corinth is about 50 miles. Okay. Now, if you look at the blue, the sea, you'll see that there's a bit of an, uh, a, a channel, if you will, that goes in between northern Greece and southern Greece. And that goes out. And on the other side, you see that there's sea on this side, the Aegean Sea. The difference in that isthmus, and this was another place, the Olympic Games, you've all heard of that, right? The second, the second should we say, popularity games in the world at that time was the Isthmian Games. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that it's probably just due to this little isthmus, this little narrow channel of land between northern Greece and southern Greece. It was about five miles wide, okay? That's not very far. That would be halfway from here to Twin. And guess what laid right in the middle of that? Corinth. So now, now start to use your imagination. Any travel from northern Greece to southern Greece would have had to come through on land through Corinth. If you were a, we a, a, way, a seafarer, there we go, I finally got it out there, and you're in a ship, um, if you could avoid going around the, the, the Cape of, it was called Malia, very treacherous portion, you could save 200 miles, plus it would be much safer. If you could go right through here, now you're saying, well, what do you do with five miles of land? Believe it or not, there was actually ships that they had on either side of it, and slaves would carry the, the, um, the cargo from one going west and picking up the cargo from the one, and they would just switch ships, right? And there were even though, again, keeping in mind, a ship today is it's gigantic. I remember visiting in uh, the Los Angeles area many, many years ago, the Queen Mary. I was just taken back, and I'm not, I'm not a Navy guy. I don't know that much about stuff, but it just blew me away, the size of that vessel. It was amazing. I still think of the size of one link of the, of the uh, help me, anchor. the anchor. It was, it was, there's no way one man could have picked it up, one, just one link. The vessels in that day were not like that. They would have been much more manageable, shall we say. And there were actually some, some smaller vessels that they would literally roll on wheels, if you will, across the five miles. Because it, it was simpler, it was easier, and safer to do it that way. But now you see why Corinth would have been a place of unamazing, unamazingly traveled from north, south, east, west. Everybody comes there of all shapes, all sizes, all kinds. That's why it probably was known as Sin City. Now, in the world that day, actually, if someone said, you're living like a Corinthian, it really meant that you were an immoral drunk is what it meant. The Greeks that had all of their plays, they actually, if they had a play and the character was portrayed as a Corinthian, he was a drunk, immoral person. That's the level of what a Corinthian meant in that day and age. Now, my thoughts today went, if someone says, you're living like an American. Now, I'm not even going to fill that blank, but I know what it used to mean. It used to mean someone that was very proud, a patriot for God, family, and country, and knew what each one of those stood for. Today, I'm not sure. I'll let you fill the blank, but it's not what it used to be. I'm afraid we're moving towards the Corinthian type aspect. But be that as it may, ah, wild place to land. It must have been overwhelming for one man, Paul, to show up. I want you to see the state of his mind because he's there for an extended period of time. Very different from a lot of the other places. He was, he was driven out of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. He's here for, we read it, 18 months. 
and, and longer because it says a good while after that, even in verse 18. That's a long time for Paul. I mean, let's be honest, that's a long time. Now, he also made another secondary mission, I'm sorry, the third missionary trip went through Corinth as well. So this is a place he stopped. Now, that's not unlike his character. In fact, we're going to look in a moment that uh, Silas and Timotheus were actually backtracked. They ended up in Athens for a short time. And they went back because Paul was so interested in discipling churches that he started. He wanted follow through. He didn't want to just start and leave. It wasn't like a traveling evangelist. He wanted growth. He wanted discipleship. And he did that very exquisitely. He came back to Corinth on the third missionary journey. So there's some books of the Bible that actually were written from Corinth physically, geographically. First and second Thessalonians. Romans. Okay, now that's interesting. From Corinth's perspective, Paul is living, breathing in Corinth. With that in mind, let's read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. This is the physical accommodation that he, was, that he was under. Now, he had never been to Rome. I mean, at least not that we're aware of. He'd never visited yet. We know that he went there and actually gave up his life there. But he had never been to the church of Rome. And what, by the way, there was a church there. It tells us in uh, verse 7 of chapter 1 of Romans that to all that be in Rome, the loved of God called to be saints. There was a church there. Now, how do you think that church got there? If you go back to Acts chapter 2, you will find that all of those Jews came from all over the world, correct? Think with me now. We've already noticed that Mr. Aquila, he was born in Pontus, okay? And he was in Rome. It's never told of us that Aquila and Priscilla were ever saved or baptized. I believe they came that way from Rome. Paul, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Just hold that for a moment. Do you see how God is intricately working right now? It's amazing. I told you to go to Romans chapter 1 for a different reason. There, he's in Corinth. He's writing this from a Corinthian perspective. Now watch verses 18. And, and going on. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, I'm sorry, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You can go on and read that. Uh, the them would very easily be the Corinthians of which he's living right there as he's writing and he's pen, penning these words. i give you the level. Um, within this little isthmus, that five miles, Corinth in the middle of it, at, there was a hill, a large hill called Acropolis. And at the, at the top of this hill, this Acropolis, was a temple, a temple to Aphrodite. Aphrodite was a sex goddess. That was probably the height, the focal point of this entire city. There was a thousand priestesses, you could call them something different today, but every night they would go down into the town and apply their trade. That goes on for years. I can't imagine the society that it would have been. That's where Paul popped into 
Okay, now I want you to go, see the other thing is, is he is writing to the Corinthians now. Okay, so this has been based upon the time that he spent in Corinth. Let's watch his state of mind described by himself as he's in Corinth. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You'll start to see his mental or his condition, shall we say. Just he's, he needs encouragement. Maybe you're here today and you need encouragement. By the way, I think we all do. (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we begin now at verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring on you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's read that again. But I was with you, the Corinthians, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. This is Paul the Apostle? Are you kidding me? It's exactly what he says. Have you been there? Fear, trembling, weakness? You better believe it. Every one of us has at some point. That is where Paul is by himself having just entered into Corinth. He needs encouragement. He leads a lot of it. So what is God going to do? Well, let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 18. It says, after these things, in other words, Paul departed from Athens. We talked about, now that was an interesting thing. As you're in, I think this is one of the more difficult places to witness as well. Let's, let's just take, and I'm not going to name a city, but it's a, like an intellectualism. Someone has studied their, themselves so far out that they found there's no God because they've wanted no God there. If you take a creator out of the universe, no design, which I don't know how you can do that. If you try to make this universe without design, you are delusional. And at some point, you must say that the design is it then. The design is it. The creation is that. Because you want also not to have a personal God. Because if there's a personal God that created everything, then you're responsible to that person. That's what you got to get rid of. That's what universities across the world have done pretty awesomely in the last number of years. That's why philosophically, they are so far off to the left field or right field, it doesn't matter. If you leave God out, you're wrong. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. That's all I know. The right, the left today, I find there are two arms of the same body. There's not enough God. There's not enough God. But did you see something? There was just a few converts in Athens. Big city. Lots of opportunities. They'd already convinced themselves of where to go. One of the hardest people to really come to Christ, and that's not my job. My job is to give the message. That's what Paul did. He didn't save anyone. The Holy Spirit saves people. If you have people in your life, your family, that need to know Jesus Christ, you need to pray for them that the Holy Spirit grabs them by their soul and brings them to the gospel. That's how it happens. We, our job is to spread the gospel. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing, faith, that's believing, and then proclamation through, de- through baptism is showing the rest of the world, I be- I'm sh- telling you what I believed. That's really how it works. But the coming, that's a Holy Spirit thing. If you think about that, Paul left early, didn't he? It seemed like no one would bring it. You know, one of the hardest places to witness to someone that's already made up their mind, fixed. No, no, no questions. Why did he spend so much time in Athens? I'm, I'm sorry, so much time in Corinth. Some of the lowest, what should we say, people that are on the deepest 
bottomless ruts are ready now to look up. That message, you know, remember, what was that? And I, I've just thought of it right now, but I can't remember. There was a radio program that was based on uh, testimonies from those that, I mean, they were down and out. What was the name of that? We used to hear, it was from Chicago. It was, um, you, you're not going to get it either. Either that or I'm not describing it well. But it was, it was really interesting. How many of those gave their testimony saying, I had nowhere to look but up? Isn't that true? You can see a Savior, a need of a Savior. If you're so low, there's nothing else left. There's a man I want you to pray for. His name is Casey. I've known him for a while, and I, I won't reveal any more than that, but he's one that's been a, come across our lives. And um, in this week, uh, I mean, hit spot. The truck that he lives out of, basically, was repossessed. He was a day away from giving, the, he had the money gathered up, and he was going to do that. That man was as low as I've ever heard on the phone. And I said, why did you call me, Casey? I don't know. You were my first call. That man was ready to listen. I was able to, around another table on this ranch, I shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he's thinking. He texted me two nights ago. He said, Larry, I need your prayers right now. See, that's great, isn't it? That's fantastic. If you don't know you need a Savior, you're not going to find him, right? So we need to pray for that man, Casey. He's, he's lived a life that's crazy. He was actually held in Pakistan. Was, he was working for a private military company. And was as they saved the guy they went to go get, and he was captured. And he was 100 days in captivity in Pakistan. He said, I was beaten every single day. Now, I said, God saved you, Casey, to bring you here today because he wants a relationship with you. I didn't say it quite like that, but it was softer. But I feel that with energy because that's exactly what happened. Why do you think Paul ran into the next people that we're describing, and that's Aquila and Priscilla? They were kicked out of Rome, a Jew. Now, here's interesting. I don't know that I can prove this, but there was a man by the name of Suetonius. He was a historian that actually lived 70 years after. Who was the guy that kicked him out of Rome? His name was Claudius, the emperor Claudius, right? Okay, well, this guy, this historian came on the scene 70 years later, and he talked about everything he could find about Claudius, and he said that he kicked all the Jews out of Rome because they just kept causing riots. And when I first read that, I didn't even go any further. I thinking, wait a minute. That sounds like Paul was there. Because isn't that what happens? Paul goes to the synagogues, preaches that Jesus is the Messiah. That'll get things stirred up. And all of a sudden, we got a riot. So in this guy's words, that was 70 years after writing backwards to about Claudius, he said that there was riots among the Jewish population because of an instigator that was called Crestus. Now, you can, you, can, you can examine and pinpoint, to my knowledge, I mean, I, haven't, I don't know the universe, you can't find that name in that time frame. But you can find this name. Christos. Who is that? The Messiah. What would have caused a riot among the Jewish population but to have Christos, Jesus, the Messiah? Literally, those riots, I'm convinced of it. It makes great sense to me. You switch an I and an E out of a guy that lived 70 years later, and he doesn't really care. He just knows there was riots because of that guy, which that guy we can't find, but we know Christos was there in the sense of Jesus was the Messiah. Roman, Rome was flipped upside down. We know there was a church there. We know it was there before Paul even got there. 
But literally all of Rome was kicked out, the Jews were kicked out of Rome because of, I'm convinced, Christos. But that man, Aquila, why would he go? Why, why, why would you go from Rome? Well, you see, Corinth is very traveled. If you come out of there, you go around the toe. You probably don't want to go any deeper because where are you going to go? You see how easy it would be to, go, to choose to go to Corinth? And they happen to be there. At the same time, Paul comes fearful, weary, and trembling. He needs encouragement. I'll tell you what right now, friends. If you've got a dear, close friend, that friend is who God will use to console you, to encourage you, to lift you up. That's what God gives friends for, honestly. And if you don't have a friend, pray for one. And if you don't have a friend and you're praying for one, be a friend. <laughs> Isn't it true? To have a friend, you must be a friend. Let's talk about Aquila and Priscilla, though. They're there in Corinth at just the right time. How would you happen to come across somebody in the city of Corinth, of which there's 200,000 people, and you just kind of like get together? Well, historically speaking, again, if you go to the synagogue, which we know Paul was there again, we'll find that in a few verses, that's where he always started. He went to the synagogue. He was always concerned about the Jews. He's always preaching, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And that probably started a riot, which it always does. But there's another thing, though, in a synagogue, especially the larger ones, um, you would be seated. Now, today, we're not doing any of that. But if you were like a carpenter, you would sit in a, your trade was a carpenter. All of those trades would sit kind of by themselves within the synagogue. Ah, now it's starting to make sense. Aquila and Priscilla, we know that they were godly people. There's no sign of where we find them who accepted Christ. They probably did that in Rome. In fact, I'm not, I'm not sure that Aquila wouldn't have been back in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost from Pontus and was that guy that went to Rome and started and spread the gospel. Well, I'm not saying it is or isn't, but the point of the matter is, is there was a church in Rome. He was probably saved there, at least was part of that church, and then went back. And he's in Corinth. And he's lifting up Paul. How would have that been? First, first time in synagogue. I remember the first time I went to Paradise Valley Community Church. We'd moved from North Dakota. The first Sunday in, it happened to be the first week. Uh, well, then, the, I'll, I'll just put it this. Yeah, no, it was the first week of June. Unbeknownst to me, of course, my father, how, most of you probably knew my father. If you didn't, think of this. Nothing scared him, and he said what was on his mind. You never wonder what he's thinking. He said it. He was very bold. He was just who he was. So where do you think we sat as a family on the first Sunday in Paradise Valley Community Church? You got it. The front row already had people in for something else going. We were in the second row. Boom. Just, that's where we were at. Now, which you don't believe is that I'm much like Laramie then. Very quiet. Wasn't involved. Just involved in the sense of I was okay by myself, right? You don't believe that. That's okay. That was, I was still that way because when I moved, God started to begin to change me. But on that Sunday, they asked, well, today's birthday Sunday for this month. Anybody with a birthday in June, come to the front. My dad gives me an elbow. <laughs> Seems like your birthday's in June. 
<laughs> so it wasn't far to the front. I want you to keep that in mind. <laughs> and of course, I tried to, you know, just kind of stayed at the back. And then I'm listening to the first ones spouting off Bible verses. <laughs> Fear, trembling. <laughs> what Bible verse? What am I supposed to do? Right? And then it came across, so it was your favorite Bible verse. So I whipped out John 3.16, and, and we went, you know, it was, it was great. But just think of that, that same think, feeling that I would have, and Paul is an apostle, he's not, he's not afraid like that, but it would be his first Sunday in probably, and he's down. I just told, I, did you, don't miss that. Fearful, weary, trembling. That's how he entered. And he probably came into the synagogue and sat down, and guess who's right next to him? The guy that just got kicked out of Rome. Why do you think their community life is looking like? To be kicked out of their home in Rome because they were a Jew? See, anti-Semitism has been going on for a long time since Ishmael and Isaac. And that's not going to change. We will find that to the very end of this era. And the tribulation will end with the most anti-Semitism you will ever see, ever. But then God, Jesus Christ, comes and rules and reigns. And it's over, finally, done. All of the racism, all of the anti-Semitism is over. The real Jews will be exposed. They are who they are. But on that day, he met someone he needed desperately, just as Aquila and Priscilla needed them. We can find that intimate friendship. They might have been as close of friends as they had. I'm talking about both sides. And they were common. The word that's used in the Bible, the Greek, we get tent maker from it, but they were leather workers. And if you think about it, any tent would have been made from a goat skin. So you had to know how to work with leather to be able to build the tent. So now we have someone that's a companion, and he's working through the entire week. Did you see he's not every day serving the gospel? That's a good way to put it. Look when he does do it. He's applying his trade for the work week. Let's go back to Acts chapter 18. Let's read verse 2 now again as we find it. And found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus. We've looked at that. Lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Because he was one of the same craft, that is a leather worker, he abode with them and wrought, and by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every day. That's not what it says. Every Sabbath. And persuaded, and that's a past tense, it should be more of an ongoing, an active tense. He was persuading the Jews and the Greeks. But what a relief to have someone that you could work alongside of. Doesn't that encourage you? You know, there's, there's people today that are working at a job site and there is not another Christian. There's not someone that they can literally communicate on a level spiritually to give them energy. They come home from work and you're just, oh, it's tough. It's really, really hard. Well, what a boost. And God is, God is encouraged. We're going to look at these ways to be encouraged. And God is doing it through friends. Intimate, deep spiritual friends. I can't imagine what that would have been like. You know, you build tents all day long, you're working with leather, and you did it with a Christian brother and sister, right? Wouldn't that be great? You want to go to work. And then I'm imagining, as they went to the synagogue every Saturday, can you imagine the energy that would have been there to proclaim Jesus Christ as Messiah? It gets better. Old friends. When Silas and Timotheus, or partners, were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So now not only does he have new friends in Corinth, but Silas and Timotheus has come. They, they've come. They've come, to, they've come to Corinth. Now, 
Did they actually ever make it to Athens? That's a good question, isn't it? Let's go to our Bibles. You're going to have to, you have to stay with me for a moment. But did they actually come? And remember what he said. He, well, let's go back. Let's go back to 17 verses 5 and 6. Acts chapter 17 verses 5 and 6. I think I'm right. No, 15 and 16. Probably. How about that? Let's do that. Yep, there we go. 15 and 16. <clears throat> and, and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. So somebody hurried him off from Berea to Athens and receiving a commandment from Paul unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him, and he saw the city woefully given to idolatry. We talked about that last week. Now, let's go to uh, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter three. First Thessalonians chapter three, and we'll look at verse verses one and two. Now, he's writing to the, Thess- the Thessalonians, obviously, and he did this from Corinth. Wherefore, when we would no longer forbear. We thought it good to be left at Athens alone. Wherefore, when we, that's more than one, <laughs> right? Please say yes, because <laughs> this is not hard. That's not hard. When we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. I'm, I stayed at Athens alone. So that means that they had to come. Someone had to come to him and sent, oh, look at this, verse 2, and sent Timotheus, where? From Athens, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the, in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. What did he do? They came to Athens and Paul said, I want you to go back to, to the church at Thessalonica and minister there. I want you to do some more discipleship. Whoa. Where's Silas? Well, it's not stated clearly or exactly, but let's go next to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. <clears throat> but now when Timotheus came unto you, unto us. Let's say that, let's, let's slow that down. But now, these writings of the Thessalonians... But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, and we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our, oh, did you see it? Our affliction and distress by your faith. That, they're writing that from Corinth. Again, do you see the distress and the affliction? Now turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Philippians 4.15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, when I left you guys, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you know, and you're the only church that literally gave money, gave funds to me from Philippi. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. They were the ones that gave. Okay? Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9. And we're just, you're saying, how far does this trail go? We're about done. We're just about there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9. And when I was present with you, this is the Corinthians again, get the geography, and wanted, he needed, I was chargeable to no man. In other words, I made my own tent. I, I made tents. I was a leather worker. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia... 
supplied, and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. In other words, that gift from Philippi came from those that came from Macedonia. Now go back to chapter eight, or chapter 18 of Acts and watch it. Let's see if you've unfolded it. When Silas and Timotheus, verse 5, were come from where? Macedonia. Paul was pressed. Now in the King James it says pressed. The idea is, is to wholly, wholly um, captured by the word. He, just, he no longer, with the gift from Philippi, from the Philippians, he didn't have to make tents to supply his own way. He did while he was there. He wanted, just as he said, he was not burdensome to anyone. The church from Philippi sent a gift from those that were in Macedonia. It had to be Silas. Who else would have come back from there? Right? Luke's still there. So those guys brought the gifts, and now he is fully, fully placed in full-time ministry in Corinth. So now he has friends of Aquila and Priscilla. Those are new friends, new acquaintances, followed by... How would you like to be joined by, you need, you know, the old partners, right? Silas and Timotheus, having them beside you, let's go, let's get this done. And then he's got gifts from a church of which he started that they went back and checked on. And now he's able to just go forward faster. Do you see the level of encouragement start to increase? Now watch him full time. Let's keep going. It wasn't just every synagogue. I'm sorry, every, every, every Sabbath. But it says that he was testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. That's his whole message. Jesus was the Messiah to the Jews. That's, that's, that's the message today. If you have a Jew in your life, one of the things you want to do, and persuasively, that you, you find that word. You don't beat them over the head with it. But somehow, they need to see that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the only Messiah that God's going to give to the Jews. It, it's not going to change. They can beat themselves up and shoot and do whatever they want to do. Jesus is their Messiah. And the quicker they get that, the better off it is. That's what, Paul's, that's what Paul's doing. Now watch. But when they opposed themselves, verse 6, and blasphemed, in other words, they said, Jesus is not the Christ. We don't want anything to do with him. He shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be on your own heads. Now he didn't say hands. What if I would say that the blood is on your hands? You're responsible. You're responsible for whatever action is going to come as a result of what's taking place. He said, your blood is on your own heads. Remember when the Jews crucified Christ? His blood be on us. That's taking full responsibility for your own actions. He's saying, I'll tell you what, guys. I've shared Jesus Christ is your Messiah. Now, I'm, I'm shaking my raiment off. Or we would say this. This would be a, 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 a saying we would say. I'm washing my hands of that situation. I'm walking away from that. I'm, I'm washing my hands of that. Paul is saying it in a way that was very biblical. Your blood is on your own heads. And he moved on. But it's amazing how little distance he moved on. <laughs> this is actually hilarious to me because it would seem like Satan has won, right? But the boss was unshared. There's a responsibility now. And then watch. Paul focuses like he always does to the Jew first when they resist, when they, when they just say, no, we don't want any more of that. He goes to the Gentiles. Watch where he goes. He's going to start to be encouraged from his converts, the people that really accept Jesus as Savior. It says he departed thence. Now you get the idea that he's went a long ways. Every time that you see Paul depart, it's like another city. Watch. He departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice. One that worshiped God, whose house joined hard next to the synagogue. <laughs> How painful would have that been for the Jewish congregation to watch? The, and they probably knew 
I was going to say Paul's car, but he didn't have one of those. But you would have known, you would have known when he was around, right? You would probably hear him. You could hear his voice. Where's he at? He's in the house living with the guy next door to the synagogue. Whoa, unbelievable. So there's one of his first converts. Can you imagine again? You got Aquila, you got Priscilla, you've got this new guy, Justice. Probably his name is Gaius. That's a whole other story. I don't want to take you down that another bunny trail. But the point of the matter is, Gaius and Crispus, which are meant, write this down in your notes. You can do your own study. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, it talks about both of those guys being baptized. And it seems in the couplet of that being tied together, Gaius would be probably this Justice Titus. At any rate, don't worry about it. And then it gets even better. How would you like to really get after the enemy's territory? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. So they think they've won, if you will, because he's left. He said, your blood is on your own heads. But in verse 8, it says, we got the guy next to the synagogue, and it says, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Whoa. <laughs> now, the ruler of the synagogue would have been that person that was responsible for the care of the synagogue and making sure that all of the regular meetings, you know, everything was laid out, I would just say, perfectly. I mean, that's how it would have been sought after. So now, Paul, <laughs> can we get this right? This is, this is cool. The guy living, he lives next door to the synagogue, and now the ruler of the synagogue has been converted to Christ. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh, my goodness, right? Do you think God's working? How do you think Paul's level of spiritual energy is now? Through the roof, right? But it even gets better. And we start to see there's other Corinthians that are believing. But now, he's not only encouraged from new acquaintances, new friends. And think of this for a moment. Do you, I just thought of this right now. This is exactly true. Um, Elijah, you remember him, right? And he was a, he was a go-getter. I mean, he took on Ahab and that whole regime almost single-handedly. A little too much single-handedly later on. But you remember Jezebel, after all of the 1,000 prophets of Baal are killed or slain. I mean, the nation's on track. He asked them first, he said, who is God of Israel? And they just didn't even know what to say. I'm going to say that's probably what America, you ask the average American, who is God? First of all, they, wouldn't, they would say there wasn't any or they wouldn't know. That's amazing to me. I don't know how to respond to that. But Israel's the same thing. Didn't take very long. Go through the book of Judges. That's a 40-year cycle of just, oh, my goodness, you get tired reading it. God sends somebody, they spike upward. God is God. And it just goes, it's, we're on a really bad cycle in America today. Whew. But let's keep going. I lost, oh, Elijah. Yep, that's right. So, he takes on Ahab, prophets of Baal. I mean, when you have God answer a prayer and burn the rocks, that's a God. Have you ever seen rocks burned? Those rocks burned. After you put water on them, burnt the water, burnt everything, burnt the rocks. And, and then Israel finally comes to her senses. The Lord God of Israel is our God. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> right? And then Jezebel comes home for a little vacation and says, Elijah, you're going to be like just one of those prophets of mine. And he freaks out, loses it, just loses his mind. He was very, and we could, that's a whole other study. He was very tired, wasn't he? He'd done a lot of stuff. And his focus was where it was on him. He travels into the wilderness, 
God doesn't say anything. This is what's really cool about God. I, I just love that. The patience, the long suffering, that's a better word. God is not patient. God's not tried by anything. We, patience makes us better and more mature. God does not need any more maturity. He's not patient. He's long suffering. At any rate, the long suffering of it. He goes there and finally he just, and God says this. Why are you here? <laughs> have you ever had those questions? You know, have you ever ran away from God and, and, and you have that still small voice? Why are you here? <laughs> well, Elijah's got, he's got a retort. He says, I'm the only one serving God and I'm like, I'm the only one and I alone have served you and take my life. And so then God feeds him <laughs> and he goes further and he says, why are you here? And he says the same thing. But do you know at the end of that, do you know how God encouraged him? Yes, he really saw who God was, but there was something else he did. There was some, this is really key. Entered the new E-man, and his name was Elisha. It was one of the things that God said, go here, and there will be a man that will, in, these are my words, will encourage you. His name is Elisha. And he literally was mentoring this new prophet of God. And you know what? It made Elijah run his full term of his life at, a, at an accelerated level. Friends, that God uses in your life is amazing. But be one to have one. But Nathan gets more serious now. I don't know if we did this, maybe did this a couple weeks. It's one of my favorite passages, but in Joshua chapter 1, just write it down, we're not going to go there. Joshua chapter 1. We find that Joshua's in a really bad pickle. His master, his commander-in-chief, the one that he's been following around for 40 years, Moses is gone. He's died, and God has taken his body. That's one that's not buried. He took it. Michael, the angel Michael. <sighs> Talk about stress. I think there was some fear, some weariness, and some trembling on Joshua's part. And out of the blue, at just the right time, at just the right time, God appeared. And he said, be of good courage. You can read that whole passage, chapter 1 of Joshua. Do it on your own. It was just like several times. Be strong and of good courage. When did Joshua get that? Exactly when he needed it. In your lives, somewhere, sometime, that low point, God will show himself to you. I had an event in Billings. Lisa had been in intensive care. She went through a whole new, a whole new facility. We're 21 days later. She collapsed. It was actually comatose in front of me as I'm feeding her. And I asked to the new PA, which was literally just unfolding. I was unfolding the story of what had taken place. And I said, ma'am, you, you need to get an ambulance here right now. Something is extremely wrong. I've been with her for 21 days. Something is wrong. And she looked at me and said, Larry, I'm going to trust you with that. So the ambulance comes. I beat it back to the, to the, uh, to the hospital, St. Pat's in Billings. And I remember leaning against the wall on the outside, saying to myself, I don't know if I can do this again. Did I say it out loud? I don't know. It didn't matter, but that's what... And inside the depth of my brain, in my head, was this. Larry, do you think you could do it with five, for five minutes with me? Again, not a verbal voice, but that encouragement right there was... And I said, yes, I can. Those moments, God will step up. He will give you what you need. And this is what exactly he does to Paul. Watch this. Here we go. Acts chapter 18. So we have, I mean, let's, let's recap now. The encouragement level is, it's, it's, it's booming, really. You've got, you went to a strange place. You found people that have been kicked out of Rome that are sitting next to you in the synagogue. And their name, he's a Jew, and he believes. 
and you have a great relationship because he's, he's a tent maker. He's a fellow occupationist with you, right? And then, lo and behold, Silas and Timotheus come, your old partners. People are getting saved. And the synagogue ruler and the guy next door are saved. And then, I can't imagine. Now, this is kind of in between verses. Can you imagine how much resistance there would have been coming now? Can you imagine how mad the Jews are now that the ruler of the synagogue has been saved? Ho, ho, take that to another level. That's spiritual warfare exponentially. That's spiritual warfare on steroids. You know it's coming. Paul can feel, you know what, he's been there before. As he said, oh, I suppose this is the end again. I got to go somewhere else. Watch this. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid. Now, by the way, if you're a Christian, you're afraid. Get to know God. <laughs> There's not a reason for a, for a Christian, that's one that's trusted Christ as Savior, to ever be afraid. Now, have I been? Of course they do. So do you. But you know what? That means that I am not ex ex exhibiting faith in my all-time supreme God that rules and reigns everywhere over everything for all reasons for all time. He's in charge. And if I have fear, I'm not believing that for that moment. Now, that's very human. Very easy for us to get there. But, right? Don't be afraid, Paul. Why? But speak. Hold not thy peace. Keep speaking. Keep telling that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Why? For I am with thee. I can't, I could speak for the rest of time, and I'm not going to, even though you might wonder at times. That statement right there is the most robust, the most powerful, the most incredible thing I could say to you, that the God of creation, the God that holds everything together, the God that is supreme above all and sovereign over all is with you as a Christian, and he's never leaving That's reason enough to go on, isn't it? Let's keep going. No man can set on thee to hurt thee. Now, they may hurt him physically, but they can't ever hurt him ultimately. Now, there's a reason that he wants them to keep going. Pre keep preaching. Have no fear. I have much people in this city, in this crazy, wild, corrupt, moralless city, sin city, God has those that needs to hear the gospel. Friends, there's a lot of people in our area right here that needs to know about Jesus. Now, God does the saving, but you need to do the telling. Now, it's amazing. I, I look at this crowd here today, and through the course of the next seven days, if we could count the miles that will separate us and the distance of people that you meet that go networking other places. It's amazing what God has orchestrated. I look at that up there of Aquila and Priscilla and Paul and all of that coming together. It's even more crazy with planes and trains and cars and buses to know how the gospel can move if we give our utmost to have no fear and preach it. Isn't that amazing? You think the encouragement level is an all-time high? It gets better. There's one more. There's one more. So we have new friends, 
old partners, God himself, which that's, that's premier. We'll look at some verses as we close out today. And then there's one, the hardships themselves. And you say, what are you talking about? Hardships. Sometimes we have to assess. This is something I need to do. Now, it, sometimes, and I'm just sharing, I'm being very personal with you, and I can't tell you how much your prayers for me mean. Okay? Can't tell you how much. That's what gets me, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me through the week. It's incredibly important. But after a, a, a message of which God has spoken, not me, you don't, you, I hope you don't ever hear from me. I'm here, you look at me, but I'm hoping that what you hear is from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit, because that's what we pray. We pray the Holy Spirit guides us. But after a message of which the Holy Spirit has spoken, not to you, he also speaks to me. Wow, I didn't see that. You know what? The spiritual warfare is insane. It's insane. But this is what's important. Understand who or where the conflict is coming from. If it's coming from Satan or those that want to take us away from God, game on. That means I did what I was supposed to do. I'm okay. So honestly, knowing where the attack is coming from makes us actually encouraged by who it is that brings it. But the other thing is, is watch what God does with the enemies. There's two things in this case. There's one of which happens to their mission, and then the other thing ultimately to the enemy himself. So let's carry on now. When he continued there, <clears throat> verse 11, a year and six months, 18 months, teaching the word of God among Of course he would. That's what he does. When Gallio, the deputy of Achaia, Okay, now, I think it's on this map. Uh, yeah, right there. See it? Achaia. Okay? He's, he's the proconsul, literally, of this entire region, which would be Greece, ultimately. Now, Gallio, um, just to do a little historical things on him, um, he was the older brother of a guy named Seneca. He was a philosopher. And this is how great a family this was. But uh, Seneca was the tutor of Nero. <laughs> Woo, good stuff going on here now, right? He was also an uncle to a great Roman poet. And if you know much about me, I'm not really into poetry. However, someone must know that this poet is Lucan, or L-U-C-A-N. He was an uncle. So uh, prominence, there's prominence everywhere. He's the proconsul, the deputy, if you will, of this entire Achaia region. And he has been approached by none other than the Jews. The Jews were making an insurrection with one accord against Paul. They're bringing him to the judgment seat. And for whatever reason, Gallio was in Corinth, probably because it was a very frequented place. And there, here's, here's, here's the, the um, should we say, the claim against him. It says, saying, verse 13, This fellow, Paul, persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. Oh, my word. How weak is that? Now, there would have been a list of accepted religions, those that apparently wouldn't hurt anyone within the Roman Empire. And, whether you know it or not, Judaism was one of those. Now, Gallio, no doubt, had done a little bit of investigation in Paul. If he's been there 18 months, right, you get to know about the guy. I don't care if it's 200,000 people. This guy would stick out. Paul would stick out in a big room. So, as far as he's concerned, it would be just about the fact, well, wait a minute, it's all about Jesus. You guys don't like Jesus, he likes Jesus, so get out of my life. I don't care about Jesus, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be the normal governmental control kind of a thing? Just forget it, I don't need to know about that stuff. Fix that yourselves. Now, why would they do this? 
I will say right now, if they would have won this judgment against Paul, it would have really set back the gospel advancement. Uh, who knows, 10, 15, 20 years. Because they would have just shut him down. Not just, not just in uh, Corinth, everywhere. They might have locked him up. It's hard to say. I mean, or killed him. It's hard to say. But here's, here's Paul ready to speak, and God takes care of business. Now, do you think Gallio is one of God's disciples? Of course he's not. Even think back when, uh, what was that? Now I'm going gonna, gonna, uh, to fail. Uh, the king, that remember the Israelites were captured. They were in Babylonia. And then the, the king from, uh, what was his name? Ah, In Esther's time, uh, or just right around that time. It doesn't matter. Okay, you can look it up. That's a, re- that's a good question for you guys to find out this week. There was a king that was not of any of God's, of God's own children, but he was the one that sent an edict out to return the Israelites back to the land, not even knowing what he's doing. God can use anyone. In fact, he's going to use Satan's own devices against himself, and he is. Here's one right here. That literally, literally, this man Gallio is taking care of business for God and having no interest in it at all. When Paul was now, here we go. This fellow, he persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was now about to open his mouth, he's about to give an an oration, just like he did with Felix later on in, in Acts. He says, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, and there was actually a law broke here, oh, you Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. Now, listen, if it was something that was legitimate. But if it be a question of your words and names and of your law, and you look to it, for I have no judge of such matters, and he drove him out of the judgment seat. So Paul wins. <laughs> and I got to believe, I just told you a little bit of the family background of Gallio. You know what? He wasn't an instrument of God in the sense of a servant of God, I should have said, but he was an instrument. God used him. God used him. Another win in the win column. Then, <laughs> it gets better. Then, all the Greeks took Sosthenes. Now, who are the Greeks? Well, it's obviously a Greek community. It's Greece. More than like, who just got whipped up in this decision? The Jews that hated Paul. Correct? These would be the non-believing Jews. They're Greeks as well. They are mad. Who would have been leading the charge potentially against this litigation against Paul? Who raised the case? Well, guess what? What happened to Crispus? He became a Christian. What are you going to do with him? You're going to get rid of him. He's gone. So they replaced him with Sosthenes. Got a new ruler of the temple, or of of the synagogue. It's a new guy. And he is going to bear the weight of this punishment because he didn't get Paul excommunicated. Get him out of there. Is he an enemy? Well, he certainly was. It says that they took Sothenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. He didn't even care. He just watched it and it didn't matter to him. So that's why I'm convinced that it was a Jew beating a Jew. He didn't care. He was so, so upset with that whole thing. Now, you say, so what is that about? Now, there's no details written for us. It's like sometimes, you know how, how you'll have, like, this is, this is an event, and there's a big gap, and then, boom, you have an ending. You know how it turns out, but how it got there, we don't know. Are you ready? This is pretty cool. So, I hope I got the right book. Uh, I got to go to, let me, let me. Why don't you guys just relax for one second? Because I think I know where I've got to go. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. 
Oh, this is embarrassing. Oh, there it is, there it is. Thankfully, Larry wrote it down in his notes. That was because he knew he'd forget. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Again, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 is what? That's where he's at. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 1, 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Oh, my goodness. Whoa, talk about an enemy that should be retreating right now. Two consecutive ruler of the synagogues get saved. Do you think Paul is reinvigorated and enthusiastic and energetic? Do you think he's downtrodden anymore? Do you think he's fearful, trembling? I don't think so. Where are you at today? Does this whole thing have you just, ah. And I will say, you watch the news very much. You shouldn't watch the news very much. We were in a short conversation last night with some folks I was. And, and we, you know, it's easy to get there, right? It's easy to get there. The news, oh my goodness, right? Do you know what? Just stay in the Word. That's our source of truth. That's the only place we need to go and then pray. And pray a lot. We actually mentioned a couple of people in a little conversation need prayer right now. There's a lot of people. We all need prayer, especially in times like this. But you know what? This is also a great time. This, as bad, I wanted to paint Corinth as bad as I could because literally, and I'm going to come back to this, quit acting like a Corinthian. I think the world is saying quit acting like an American. We're in the same spiritual dismay. It's just as important for us now to realize to be encouraged in our walk, in our testimony, just as Paul was. We need to gather as friends right here today. I'm getting fuel. I'm getting energy from you being right here because we're surrounding ourselves around the Word. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us, and the energy is coming from the inside to reveal the power that God has to change a world. And He's going to do it one person at a time, and He's going to use one person at a time. And you know what? That promise that was given to Paul was given to us. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28, a verse you are all familiar with. Matthew chapter 28, but isn't it interesting? When you have a big task, when it's daunting, when it seems overwhelming, which had to be to those disciples, and we're a disciple today. Verses 18, we'll start there. This is at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus came and spake, verse 18, chapter 28 of Matthew, and he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore, because of that, because of the power, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, and lo, I am with you sometimes. Always. That's almost the exact same message that Paul received from God in the city of Corinth. We have the same message, the same power, the same directives, the same encouragement to them. Let me close with a couple of verses that encourage me when I'm, when I'm needing it. Take your Bibles, and if nothing, I'll just write these down. You can look at them up at your, at your own leisure. It follows right along in, in Hebrews chapter 13. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 13. I'd like to take you there, if it works, because I want you to see it in your Bible. That's one of the reasons that we spend so much time looking in the Scriptures, is I want you to see it in your Bible. 
Hebrews 13.5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Let's go to Isaiah. Ah, that book. Isaiah. Talk about faith building, strength. Isaiah chapter 40. Let's start there. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Remember Psalm chapter 27, verse 14? Wait on the Lord. What a great place to wait. Then turn to 41, verse 10. Isaiah, just stay right there. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. There's a few chapters here that just incredible encouragement. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yes, I will help thee. Yes, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And then one more, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. See, when you're Christ, you're, my, his, you're His. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopian Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou, wast as, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, my daughters from the ends of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, and I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. And I just pray that every single Jew living could just capture those seven verses. You know how they do it? By saying that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. We have a message. We have a motive. And we have a God that protects us and holds us. Holds his arms of love around us. One more passage. This is a passage that I use oftentimes at funerals. But it fits today because of the fact of what did... Paul received from God was comfort. Comfort. Do you know what you need today? Comfort. Comes through encouragement, comes through very, various means, but God is, let's watch. Second, second uh, Thessalonians. Imagine that. Imagine that. Second Thessalonians. I hope I'm right. Uh, second Thessalonians chapter 1. No, I'm wrong. It's second Corinthians, isn't it? Sorry, just wait a minute until I find it. <laughs> Seem clear in my mind. Yeah, there it is. Second Corinthians. To the Corinthians, nonetheless, his second letter to them. Look at verse 3. Chapter, chapter 1. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Watch this. Blessed be God. Writing to the Corinthians where he had all of these troubles. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforteth us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comfort of God. That's why you as a Christian here, if you're encouraged today, you know what? God wants you to encourage someone else. He wants you to be a Barnabas. He want, and I don't know what the corollary is of a female Barnabas, but whatever it is, Barbie or Barbanette or something. You know, I want you girls to go out and get her done. Get her done. 
He is the God of comfort. What is the Holy Spirit called by Jesus himself? I must leave so the comforter can come. And you know what? The comforter lives within you. I don't know what more to tell you. We have everything we need. We have all the tools, all the power, everything, everything that we could possibly even imagine. It's beyond what we could even think or know, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3. Those are ours. Let God do his work through us. Let's go for Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Paul's trip initially to Corinth. We know what he felt like. He was tired. He was faint. He was weary. He was trembling. He was full of fear. Father, there are days that we are there as well. You encouraged Paul much the same way that you encourage us. Sometimes it's through friends. Sometimes it's through old friendships, old partnerships, people that we can count on, people we can call out and we know that they're safe. And then, Father, even yourself. The words that we've, written, that we've uh, read out of the Scripture even those last few moments, Father, those are incredible strengths to us. And the enemy has no play on us at all, none whatsoever. Paul must have been just fired up in his spirit to see as hard as the enemy, as hard as Satan tried to thwart the missions of him and of you, Father, Two consecutive rulers of the synagogue and their families were saved. Wow. God, you are sovereign. You are almighty. You are creator. You're a savior. We could go on for eternity, Father, and we will when we're in heaven with you, spending time with the one that saved us, Jesus, wearing the nail prints for all of eternity for the cost of grace, which is free to us, but cost him everything. Father, go with us wherever we go this week. Give traveling mercies to those that are traveling. Father, be with us in everything we do and say that you are glorified and that we are blessed as a result. Through the power of Jesus and in his name alone we pray. Amen.